0: From Kurtco Media. This is Cars
1: That Matter.
2: Welcome to Cars That Matter. I'm Robert Ross, and joining me today is Jack Chisholm. President and founder of Vintage Air and recipient of the prestigious Robert E. Peterson Lifetime Achievement Award. Welcome, Jack. It's good to have you here.
1: Thank you, Robert. appreciate that. Glad to be here.
2: You've kind of created an entire industry that's really come to be known as performance air conditioning. Vintage Air was founded a long time ago now in 1976 primarily to serve builders who wanted to build really cool hot rods. Right. <laughs> Talk about how you got to where you are. I understand you started wrenching at an early age.
1: Well, yes. I started reading a Hot Rod Magazine, and it was Hot Rod Magazine and Rod and Custom, which were the ones at the time that everybody was reading. It got me interested in old cars, and I was about probably 13.
2: Isn't it funny? That's when it always starts, huh? Yeah. Around about I think, 12, yeah. 13 years old.
1: I think so. Long story short, my mom, my dad was in the Air Force and he was, at this particular time, was overseas a lot. So she would take me out looking for old cars, driving around the country. We drove by one old junkyard that had some pretty nice cars in it for a junkyard and there was a little Model sedan sitting right there. And so grabbed that one and that started it really.
2: What'd you pay, 50 bucks or 100 bucks for it?
1: No, it was $100. It ran and drove home. That's a lot of money. It must have been a nice car. It was decent. It, It ran and my mom thought that was important. important. So she said, that'd be a good one. It actually runs. And I thought, well, that motor won't be in there long anyway. But
2: (laughs) (laughs) What motor did you put in that thing, Jack? Let me guess, a flathead V8, maybe something like that?
1: Yeah, the first swap was a Mercury. By then, the Mercury and the flatheads were kind of really on their last legs so they were cheap and a guy had a mercury my dad in the military and so i could go out to the base hobby shop and work on it there because they have the tools and equipment welders and stuff anyway he was out there and he was pulling that thing out and he was going to put an old in it and i'm looking at that thing going he's saying now i gotta get rid of this thing and i'm going hey wait a second you know i asked him what he'd take for it, and he said i'd take 25 bucks for it so 255 cubic inch Mercury flathead.
2: Sounds like a deal. And boy, that was the bee's knees back then. That really was. What a fun car that must have been. Yeah. What happened after those formative years? You did some college work or... well.
1: Yeah. And as I was going along, I kept working on the car, updated it as we went along. That Mercury got lost and I put a Pontiac over it valve V8 in it.
2: Okay. Okay.
1: And I used that to go to school. I drove that car. It was my only car. And so, yeah, I, I went to school, studied industrial design, got out of college and it was Vietnam era. So I had joined ROTC. After I got out of college, I went right into the Air Force.
2: That was a pretty ambitious endeavor, especially at the time. You fly planes there?
1: I flew for a little bit, and then I did other stuff in the Air Force.
2: Well, it sounds like an interesting stint. And obviously, after you got out, your passion for hot rods did not diminish in the least. No, it didn't. (laughs) you always been a hot rod guy. Was there an aha moment that you had that said, hey, wait a minute, I want to get serious about this?
1: Well, when I got out of the Air Force, I had to make a decision I think a lot of people that go in the Air Force consider staying in, you know, and making a career out of it. I thought about that for just a second and pretty much decided that I wanted to do what I always wanted to do. I told my mom when I was about 13 or 14, I told her that I want to build parts for cars. I decided, well, if I've wanted to do that this long, I should stick with that. I started looking around, well, what can I do? At that point, Pete and Jake's had started a year before that. There was a couple of chassis guys out there now. And I thought, well, I don't want to go jump in the middle of something someone I was already doing. So what can I do that's new? Maybe I need to back up just a second. I had started an air conditioning repair and installation center right after I got out of service in 73. I had that stuff laying around. So I thought, hey. Street Rod Nationals are coming up here in August. I'll just load up the van and take a bunch of stuff up there, and I made three unique parts to have up there for that deal. There were no condensers at that time, and the condenser is the part that goes in front of the radiator.
2: Sure, that's the part that takes up space, and then on <laughs> a hot rod, man, that could be a sore thumb.
1: And of course, in those days, it was all about 32 Fords. So.
2: Some people would say it still is. And, but, yeah, well, that's <laughs> what I'm working on right now, so. Yeah, we'll get to that.
1: I designed and had a company make me a condenser or a company up in Minnesota make me a condenser that was vertical so that it would fit that format because there was nothing like that available,
2: number one. That's right. That narrow that narrow grill and uh, yeah, it had to fit just right. Yeah, there were narrow ones, but
1: they laid down for the width of the cars that were going on
2: then. That's right. So we did
1: that. And then I designed a compressor mounting bracket for a small black Chevy because there were more small black Chevys going in at that time than anything else. So the hoods were narrow on the hot rods. So it couldn't hang out to the sides like they did in the newer cars. So that was the second thing we did, that bracket. And then the third thing we did is I made a mold. I'd been working with my hands long enough that I just figured, hey, if I can make a mold and I can make my own plastic evaporator housings. That's right. And put the coil in them and I'll have a unique evaporator to fit a 32 Ford. I just made the molds right there out of wood. And then we vacuum formed a thermal formed I made a little machine. I made a little thermoforming machine. It wasn't tiny, but it was pretty basic. I used an air conditioning compressor for the vacuum pump and stuff like that. And for about 75 bucks, I had a (laughs) thermoforming machine, and we were off and running. We got that all done in the first year and had it at the first Street Rod Nationals, which was in Tulsa, as I recall, in about seventy six.
2: Boy, Necessity is the mother of invention. You created a whole new solution for a problem that everybody had, and that's driving around in a hot car. You certainly know something about hot cars because you're in San Antonio, Texas. Right. Definitely a great test bed for your systems.
1: Yeah, it's a good place to try something and see how it works.
2: (laughs) (laughs) I remember years ago when I was working at a job, that we had an old traveling salesman who would drive by and visit us once every few months. He was always selling some kind of mystery oil for the generation and things that we were trying to keep running. He drove a 54 Ford Vic. Mm. He was from the South, and he used to like to boast. He'd drive across the country with his wife. He's always talking about how, oh, this weather doesn't bother me at all. I got 60-degree air. I said, really? That whole thing has air conditioning in it? He says, yeah, sure it does. I turned those wind wings at about <laughs> a 60-degree angle, and I've got all the air I could possibly want. That's funny. That wasn't exactly what I was envisioning. It's one thing to have a wonderful car, but it's another thing to have to suffer through a summer driving it.
1: Well, that's true.
2: Well, you've obviously got a lot of serious technical problems to overcome. I know that even so-called major manufacturers had challenges. I remember in the 60s and even in the 70s, air conditioning systems were sometimes not terribly effective, especially on European cars. I remember having a little launchy Scorpion and it had air conditioning, but it was like two little Tinkerbell fairies blowing cold air over a couple of ice cubes. It was absolutely useless. Yeah. (laughs) You're absolutely
1: right. I experienced that because starting out, you got to get cash flow. You can't just start making stuff. So we had to get in cars for repairs and people would bring us those And I won't name any names necessarily, but just about like you say, most of the European cars couldn't hack it. And we spent a lot of time with them and had to get creative to do much at all.
2: That's right. I think the British learned early on, though, that there's nothing better than a good York or Frigidaire compressor. So Rolls-Royce and Bentley and all those high-end brands were using quality American products at the time.
1: Absolutely. They were using the Frigidaire, which was a General Motors
2: compressor. That's right. In 2010, you won a pretty prestigious award, the Robert E. Peterson Lifetime Achievement Award. What does that really entail? Because a lot of our audience may not be familiar with that, but it's a very prestigious piece.
1: Well, Robert E. Peterson was the founder of Hot Rod Magazine. That's right. As I recall, they picked someone that so i done something. I'm not exactly sure what to this
2: day. <laughs> well, you're too modest. Obviously, you made all of these great old cars drivable. That's certainly saying something. I know there are a number of pioneers in the aftermarket industry without whose efforts it would not be possible to actually drive our cars. So whether it's refurnishing old tires yeah. or air conditioning. or
1: Exactly. That tire thing is another similar deal. The Coker Tire builds tires for these cars. period correct. That's right. But yeah, there was an event back in Indianapolis, a large performance trade show. The Peterson thing was part of that. It was their award that they gave. It's a lifetime achievement award. I was very humbling. Of course, uh, some of the guys that were up on that stage at the time, some of the guys that had come before and had been there before were pretty, pretty humbling heroes. Names that we, as kids, looked up to
2: a great deal, right? Absolutely true. Well, hard-earned and well-deserved for sure. Well, let's take a quick break and come back with Jack Chisinal and talk a little more about some of his personal automotive fashion. We'll be back.
0: If you're like us, you're looking for a way to make stay at home a little more special. Well, we're going to let you in on our secret. Join Rob Vices to get luxury cocktail kits, toys, tools, tech, and other incredible items delivered straight to your home on a monthly basis. The value is incredible. Your first box is going to be a $400 tequila curation, and you can sign up for as little as 99 bucks a month. Use the code PODCAST, and you'll save an extra 50 bucks at sign-up. So head to robvices.com to bring exciting experiences safely to your door. Remember, use the code PODCAST and go to robvices.com.
2: We're back with Jack Chisholm, Hall vintage air in San Antonio, Texas. And Jack's not only the president and founder of his company, but he's got some automotive passions that are independent of that. Jack, I know you've kept your cool at a really high speed. You're a member of a very elite club. I think you ran 241 miles an hour at Bonneville Salt Flats. Tell us about that. When was that and what were you driving?
1: Well, oh, how did that happen? I was like... Many of us, we were hot rodders from day one. And reading the magazines, we always saw Bonneville. And I just decided that we needed to be there. And so I was a big Studebaker fan, and my uncle ran a Studebaker dealership up in Dallas. And so I had been around those things my whole life. Then I started seeing at Bonneville, the 53-54 Studebaker was one of the greatest envelopes of any car ever built in the
2: 50s. Boy, that was a streamlined car. Was that one of Raymond Loewy's cars? Exactly. Yeah, designer of the Avante. But 10 years before, man, he really created a rocket ship, one of the best-looking cars of the era.
1: Absolutely, and they were lower, they were more aerodynamic. A lot of guys started using them at Bonneville, and for a while there, more records were set with 53, 54 Studebakers than any other body stock. I thought, okay, well, I'm going to build a Studebaker. So we found an old Studebaker in pieces. I didn't need a really nice one because I knew I was going to do a lot of work on the car. So we built a car, full tube chassis, a rectangular tube chassis in the bottom and then round tube up in the top of the car. We put a big displacement engine. We put, in those days, it was a really big engine, 705 cubic inch, a big block Chevy and a Dart Merlin block in it. Oh boy. A 5-300 stroke on that thing Wow, and, and a four and a half inch bore, I think is what it was. It's like little coffee cans
2: going up and down, man.
1: Well, you know what I did to figure the piston speed on the thing? I thought, how do you know what to do? So I looked it up and what the NASCAR guys were doing. And I said, well, if it works for those guys, it'll have to work for us. So anyway, I used that piston speed number and built the motor accordingly. We spun that thing with that big stroke up to 6,000 RPM, which was a lot of weight swinging around in there. It sure is, man. That's hard to stop. We went out to the salt flats and you have to get to know the rules a little bit. too fast, you get in trouble. If you don't go fast enough, you don't get anywhere. So, (laughs) And they do that to be safe. You know, they don't want a guy that has never driven a car fast and go out there and then put his foot on the gas and don't let up and then get flying in the air and kill himself. They want to watch you. And that's fair. So you go through your steps. You get a 150 mile an our license. Then you get a 200. And then I think they let you go after that. Anyway, that's kind of how it works. So we went through that process. And by the time we finished the process... We had exceeded the record by, I think, about seven or eight miles an hour, and I had the air conditioner turned on.
2: That's the punchline, man, because 241 miles an hour is impressive enough. But the fact that you were probably the only guy who'd ever made a run that fast with ice-cold AC, that's remarkable. Obviously, it didn't rob any power from the engine.
1: Well, it took a little, but I guess I had enough to overcome it. And then that was another reason why I didn't want to spin the motor 12,000 RPM, because I'd have to really gear down my compressor. I wouldn't be able to drive it on the street and have it work. So
2: That's right. Now, is that a car you could actually drive on the street?
1: Absolutely. In fact, right after Bonneville, we took it down to Los Angeles. And we changed tires and wheels and drove it on
2: the power tour and drove to Detroit in it. Fantastic. Well, boy, that's a ride of a lifetime. Yeah, it was fun. What a great memory. You still have that car?
1: Still have it, yes. And I've been road racing it lately. And I always built it as a road race kind of car, it had that kind of chassis. And I just knew that chassis would also be good for everything else. Yeah, but we've been taking it up to the circle on this track up in Austin, the Circuit of Americas, mm-hmm. and running it up there quite a bit and been enjoying it.
2: Boy, you're, you're really a master of many arts. That's pretty... Tell us about some of the other cars you've got in your collection or you've built.
1: There's a couple, I mean, that are my favorites. I've got this old 39 Ford sedan, a black one that I've been driving on the power tours and on the road tours. We started going on those in about 93, maybe. I took that black sedan on that, and I've taken it probably on at least 75% of those ever since. We go every year now for the last 38 years, whatever it is.
2: And that's your car of choice. That must make quite a statement. Stands out. Well, I
1: like that car a lot. But another thing, there was a fellow that meant a whole lot to this industry. His name was Tom Medley. Of course. And Tom Medley was one of my very good friends. And we made a lot of drives like that. When he passed away, his family asked me to buy that car, so I have that car now. We took it to Canada last year to the event up there and down to the Mississippi Gulf Coast, the tour they have there on the beach down in Biloxi. So we drove Tom Medley's car, and I still call it Tom Medley's car because I'm just taking care of it for him. (laughs) Those are the ones that I choose for the road tours nowadays are great cars, and, and Medley's old car, boy, does that thing go down the road beautiful driving car.
2: Isn't that something? And I sure hope we're all back to driving without any restrictions soon. It'll be nice to get back into some car events and being able to actually spend time up close and personal with the people in cars that make this hobby so much fun. You're exactly right. I'm working on a 32 Ford, but I don't know if you want to hear about that. or not. Of course I want to hear about a 32 Ford. <laughs> Come on, that's the linchpin of every hot
1: rod garage. Tell me about it. Well, it's a 32 Roadster that I bought in pieces Back probably about 35 years ago. And it took me, with everything going on and building these other cars and stuff, uh, it took me a while to get to it. Isn't
2: it funny how some of that stuff ends up on the back burner? And interestingly, if you bought that car that long ago, that was before the age of off-the-shelf kits and parts. Those were real pieces of art.
1: And it was, like I say, it was in pieces. So I sent it up to a buddy of mine, Craig Knapp, that's a real panel guy, and about 20 years ago. And he went through the body and really made a nice body out of it. And so I've had it to that stage for a while. And then found About a year and a half ago, we started building the car, Vintage Air, and I've got all Vintage Air guys that are working on it myself, and we're just going to build a nice driver, got a little Dodge Hemi, and I'm casting (laughs) aluminum heads for it and casting some special water pump for it to raise the fan up to get in the middle of the radiator, like we did for the Chevrolet motors, casting some other parts for it to get some of that weight off of that because those motors are really cool, but they're heavy, so I'm trying to get rid of some weight. Well, it's really going to be a one-off piece of artwork. I don't know if it'll be artwork, but I'm just trying to make it work the way it needs to and look the way I want it to. You know, we all have our own idea of what we want, I guess.
2: That's right. What color are you going to paint it?
1: Well, this car first came into my mind, maybe when I was in high school, I don't know. <laughs> it was black. And so it's going to be black.
2: There you go. That's going to be quite a piece of work. And like I say, uh, sort of the linchpin of every Hot Rod collection. We want it our
1: way, right? So We really are making just about everything. We're reshaping some of the body panels. Not much, because it's going to look like a 32 Ford, for sure. But we're a lot of little things. A guy that works with me, George Hagee, he's a heck of a panel guy, and we can do about whatever we need to do there. So we've, we're kind of just making it what we want, making it the way we want. It.
2: Well, it sounds like you've got the resources, the patience, and the wherewithal to do just that. I think that's absolutely fantastic. Jack, you sound like a guy who's got just about everything he wants. You've created a great business, and you've got the cars that really satisfy you. But I always like to ask our guests to imagine if a genie popped out of the bottle and they would grant you three cars, three wishes for three cars that you don't have are there some that would be top of your list oh uh, hmm. <laughs> gosh
1: I, you know i just like hot rods and uh, there's so many cars that i like i'm not sure that i can narrow it down that much Um gosh i guess i'd go back some ways maybe an early track roadster or something uh From the late '30s, you know, Mm -hmm. I like the Chrysler 300s a lot. '56, '57s; those are pretty cars.
2: That whole series of cars—they were ahead of their time. Virgil Exner and his design studio really produced some amazing machines back in Chrysler's heyday. They they did, boy. So those cars—I used to
1: read about those in proper mechanics but let's see
2: anything from europe
1: oh from europe well you know a guy would probably like a maybe an old XKE jaguar or something
2: there you go hop up and get out there on the track with them. something like that those are pretty neat cars they sure are well this is fun jack but hang on we're gonna take a quick break
0: a moment of your time a new podcast from kurtco media currently 21 years old and today today, like I'm magic extended from her fingertips down to the you base You have to take of
2: care smile. of yourself because the world needs you and Trust your me, voice. Trust me, every
0: do-gooder that asked about me was ready to spit on my like dreams.
2: Your fingers were facing me.
0: You can feel like your purpose and your worth is
2: really being it questioned. going to stop me from playing the piano. She
0: buys walkie-talkies, wonders to whom she should give the second device. Cats don't
2: love humans. We never did. We never will. We just find one. The beauty are... of rock climbing is that you can only focus on
0: what's right in front of And so our American life begins. We may need to stay apart, but let's create together. Available on all podcast platforms. Submit your piece at kirkco.com slash a moment of your time.
2: We're back with Jack Chisholm. Well, you've got a lot of challenges to tackle and a whole breadth of applications for cars. Obviously, hot rods are where you started your business, but you're not certainly limited to just customs. But really, you have to tackle all kinds of challenges, different engines, different outputs, all the plumbing, the aesthetics. Where do you start in designing a system
1: like let's say we're talking about muscle car in this case you decide maybe you want to do a chevelle a 69 chevelle first thing we do is we study that vehicle and we try to understand what's going to be difficult about the installation we try to do preliminary work on figuring out what it is and what vehicles how many different vehicles we need because on that chevelle You might have six variations of that dashboard. We'll decide, okay, we're going to have to bring in six cars. Because it's going to take that many to get all the variations of that car. Right. If it's the Chevrolet, you'll have two engine options in that area. You'll have a small block or a big block. Then one of our guys starts developing the engine mounting bracket. At this point in time, we've got that Chevy small block coverage, you know. I bet
2: you do. (laughs) When we started, there
1: were variations of it that you needed one for the side with the low hood clearance. You needed one a little higher for the earlier cars, the early 55, 57 cars. A little taller, and but still it couldn't be too wide. And so you develop, you start working on one component at a time. And the compressor is an easy place to start. You get a compressor bracket mounted, then you start developing what size the condenser needs to be and how you can place it in the car to get the airflow that it needs and stay out of the hood latch. Because the, that little hood latch thing can poke a hole in that condenser real easy. if
2: Not careful. That's right.
1: Those kind of things. And then you look at the dashboard. We try to use the factory ship. Panels, if we can, on the 60s cars and later.
2: Well, I wanted to ask you about that. Obviously, aesthetics play a huge role in this, especially because so many of the cars you're probably outfitting are really highly detailed, beautifully produced Resto mods, or else guys who are trying to keep their cars looking absolutely original. So, it's important for you to use existing air vents and switch gear, or do you sometimes hang a system underneath the dash if need be?
1: Well, most of the cars that we put the air conditioner behind the dash, and we use existing vents. After about 1960, the vents started getting put into the dashboard, some earlier, as early as 55, the Pontiacs and upscale Cadillacs and stuff, had them. Most of those cars after that period, after like 48, 1948, we're gonna try to be built into the dash, and using existing switching, it may not be the same panel, but it will look like the same panel because now we're down to using digital electronics for all of our switching. Boy, that sure made life easier, hasn't it? Well, it did. And they work so much better, you know, and they install so much easier because they're, these digital boards are made to just attach to the back of the original control panel, it goes in, takes a lot less room than all those cables used to. That's that.
2: fantastic. It certainly made that part of the job easier. Speaking of the job, you talk about cars like Chevys and Fords and Chrysler products and all the big games, so to speak, that probably makes up the bulk of your business. What does some guy do if some of the more exotic cars, I mean, I know there's no hotter roasting pan on the planet than a Mercedes Gullwing in the summer. <laughs> have you tackled systems for cars like those? We have done some special work
1: on some of those cars that we see enough volumes that justify it. Probably jumping ahead a little bit, but right now we're doing, in Porsche 911, we're doing a kid for Porsche 911s.
2: The early 911 series? Yeah. It's funny. I remember my dad had a Porsche 912, and he ordered the so-called dealer-installed air conditioning, and that was the most useless load of crap I've ever experienced. So if you can get some cold air coming out of one of those little cars, you've actually done your job, and I'll bet you have a lot of eager takers there. You're
1: right. (laughs) We have a universal product line. Say a guy has a Mercedes going, as you say. We have a group of universal condensers. We have a group of universal evaporators the compressor bracket is usually unique so we don't do a lot of custom brackets for people because universal components that can be used to make a compressor bracket
2: i imagine you go to any car show there are an awful lot of resto mods and survivors there that are running vintage air you don't do any installs at vintage air
1: is that correct the only installations we do are the new development cars The new development cars, we will do an installation on, and that'll be some guy. We just go find them, so it's somebody from the area generally, but we just have to find the right car. It has to be just what we're looking for, and then we get those rounded up, and that's how we get started, yeah.
2: What seems to be the most popular car that you're retrofitting? Is there one? I know pickup trucks are just the rage now, and certainly a lot of off-roaders, Broncos and old Scouts and Blazers and whatnot. Is there a car that's top of the heap?
1: The Camaros are really, really popular. The 69, 70 Camaros and Chevelles, that group of cars is a big part of our business. Pickups Like you said, you know, I always thought that every hot rodder has pickup.
2: Sure. He's got to. He's got to. He's got to (laughs) haul those parts in something. Exactly.
1: Exactly. (laughs) And that's something I always believe because I'm just going on my own experience. I always had to haul stuff around. So, Early on, we started doing pickups, and they remain a big part of our business. And it's the same thing, the Chevrolets, the Fords, and the Mopars.
2: Now that's a nice small cabin to keep cool, too. I bet you get those things down to make a penguin happy. Yeah, you can keep those things pretty cool. That's really great. I imagine you've also provided some systems for some pretty special vehicles. I mean, what does a guy with a million-dollar Riddler Award winner, a hot rod, do for air? Because he's going to want that to be perfect. Does he come to you, too?
1: Well, yeah, they do for the components and then they may put their special touches on it we have some pretty nice equipment we have our proline series of brackets and that which are all machine aluminum and our Front Runner series, which is a machine aluminum front drives that are a complete front drive. It's a complete system. Fantastic. And I'll bet they look good too. They do look good and they've been a great product for us.
2: What's the strangest, most complicated, difficult project you guys ever tackled? Can you name one or two?
1: There's so many that fit in that bill. And let me just say that when I was starting, we didn't just air condition cars. We air conditioned whatever somebody needed. But I think the one that in my mind is the opal gt
2: oh yeah the little european corvette clone yes yeah little fiberglass thing with a tiny little four-cylinder inline and no room and i had a traveling sales guy
1: an engineer he was a traveling sales engineer and he came by and brought that thing by and he says you know i drive this thing everywhere i go and he says it's got to have air and so i did it for him but i got to tell you it was a challenge no room for anything in the conventional sense there was just no All those places that we were used to putting everything, there was no (laughs) place for it. So that one was probably stands out. But there's a big company here in town called H.B. Zachary, and they're a large construction company. And what they do is build power plants for municipalities and cities and so on. And they build these huge... Power plants, typically coal and that company, they found out what we were doing and they called me and they said, we got a power plant down in Mexico and we'd like you to go down there and air condition everything there, the big scrapers, dozers, all of that equipment. And so we did. We lived there two months. And because and and we couldn't bring that equipment and tools back and forth across the border
2: because... That's right. You pay duty on every time that stuff moves across the border. Yeah. So you got to live there.
1: So we lived over in Mexico for two months and air conditioned all that equipment on a big old pile of coal. Oh, man, so at what? the end of the day, you just went home and you had been breathing that stuff and you were covered. Uh, it was, uh, but we did a lot of things besides cars because, well, it paid pretty well, honestly.
2: I'm sure it did, and obviously the application and the technology is fundamentally the same. Jack, what's the oldest car you've ever put an air conditioning system into? Well, a T for sure. A Model T
1: for sure. Probably was a little 24, I think it was, T-Coupe.
2: With a big V8 motor. With a big (laughs) I think it had a small lock
1: Ford in, which fit in those pretty good. Okay, okay. They call them the tall T's. Remember those? That's right. Those are pretty neat cars.
2: They're real square and real boxy, but they're really cool. Jack, what's going to happen to some of the great cars that were really top of mind when guys our age were growing up, the Model T? the Model As, all the cars that just seem to be forgotten today. you think there will still be a place for those other than museums?
1: Well, you know, hard to say, and really hard to say, but I do notice that some of the young guys are taking to those cars a little bit and building some they call them rat rods for a while right but now they're just little hot rods. I guess you can build it fairly cheap because you're not lot to all the traditional stuff you kind of just build what you want just pull the fenders off, even pull the hood off, just have a body and a grill shell and a motor. and
2: Get a rattle can of gray primer and you're good to go. That's right.
1: (laughs) (laughs) You see a lot of that. And of course, there's a lot of those guys that started out that way. And then they evolved into making some really taking that car, that type of car, and refining it. There's some, some notable cars built by these young guys that just out of nowhere just come up with this wow that's a cool car jimmy shine that used to work over at socal
2: oh yeah sure
1: jimmy built that little model pickup yeah that's a well-known hot rod but you know that was out of nowhere he came with that because he sure wasn't following what everybody else was doing that's right and that car was just a great car and he's a great guy and he's now continuing he's just building some of the greatest stuff
2: that's right you know it's really proof that there's room for creativity and that all the great songs haven't been written yet and all the great cars haven't been built
1: and some of these young guys they don't have all this old baggage they're carrying around that makes them do it a certain way they're just saying i if we did that <laughs> you know and they do it and wow you know they end up with something really really unique and something that we us old guys can go wow i'm
2: I kind of (laughs) like (laughs) it. And chances are when they build it, it might very well have a vintage air system in it because everybody wants to stay cool.
1: I always encourage that.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Well, Jack, it has been such a pleasure having you on the program. I always like to talk to innovators in the industry and guys that are thinking about a new way to skin the cat. And it's been a great pleasure to have you on the show. Stay cool in Texas and we'd love to invite you back soon. Well, we'll do our best. And thank you very much for uh, allowing me to be with you today. Thanks to Jack Chisenall, CEO and founder of Vintage Air for joining us today on Cars That Matter. Come back next time as we continue to talk about the passions that drive us and the passions we drive. This episode of Cars That Matter was hosted by Robert Ross, produced by Chris Porter, edited by Chris Porter, sound engineering by Michael Kennedy, theme song by Celeste and Eric Dick, additional music and sound by Chris Porter. Please like, subscribe, and share this podcast. I'm Robert Ross, and thanks for listening.
0: Kurt Combe Media. Media for your mind.